I remember the late, one of the latest things that happened for me, I was meditating a few years ago and I was lifted into this really beautiful space. And as I was sitting there in the light, these beings came to me and they said, we want you to be more compassionate. And that was a little shock to my system because my, my view of myself was compassionate. I thought I was compassionate, okay? But they, they said, no, you need to, need to grow more in compassion. And then there were these eight modules that they moved me through. They were like scenarios in my life. And, and I lived through each of these scenarios. And when I got to the eighth one, it hit me. Oh, my God. All right, Michael Beckwith, welcome to the podcast. What are you most excited about right now in your life? This moment, I have a tremendous amount of enthusiasm about this um, tremendous energy that's flowing around me and through me. Uh, I can see, not with my eyes, but I can see that there is a tremendous uh, new well, ageless energy that's emerging more than ever before. The earth has awakened, the frequency is high, and I could see it moving uh, in, in ways all around the world at this particular time. And I can feel it in myself. And I'm, I'm acclimating to this, this new frequency. I'm very enthusiastic about it. Hmm. When was the first moment you started to feel that energy, the timeless energy you're talking about? Oh, that I, f I began to feel that many years ago when I had my first, when I first adult awakening, when I was uh, pulled, uh, I was killed in a lucid dream. And, and when I died and I woke up, I could see um, the, the beauty that's everywhere in everything. And I could feel the pull of this love uh, surrounding me. Uh, a love that's beyond description and a beauty that's beyond description. And it pulled me out of that paradigm I was living in. And I've, I could never get back in that box. So then over the years, it's been insight and integration, insight and integration, you know, just continuing to expand to be able to hold more of that frequency. And so uh, recently, over the last few months, there's been another let's say, up-leveling, another uh, expansion, another carrying of that kind of energy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like a lot of individuals around the world are beginning to sense this energy and start having these these little upgrades throughout their, their life. And I wanted to ask you, it almost seems like we're leaving an old story behind. And, you know, you're one of the pioneers that are unraveling the new story. I wanted to ask you, what are these evolutionary triggers that are going on right now for this new human, new story to emerge in the world right now? Yeah, I've, al I've always loved using the word evolutionary trigger. Uh, an evolutionary trigger is something that might appear to be negative, but it actually activates the potential within us to allow us to become more ourselves. So when we look upon the world at this particular time, or the planet and the things going on in the world, uh, we see the, the climate emergency that's happening right now, that's a big evolutionary trigger because you have approximately seven years to make a mega major difference in transformation of how we live on the planet. And so in order for that to occur, it, it's going to activate potential collaboration and vision to actually move to the next way of living on this planet. So it's, it's actually an emergency that allows us to emerge and see the possibilities and then to walk in that direction. You know, so when you look at the, the deforestation, you look at the pollution, you look at the fossil fuel usage, you look at all of the systemic issues of in, in, uh, the prison industrial system, nuclear war implements, war, things that are really old from an old paradigm of might makes right. None of it is useful anymore. None of it is profitable. None of it assists anything. And so it's all uh, falling away for those and for those individuals who are um, 
allowing this new energy to activate them, uh, they are everyone's becoming aware that, as I like to say, that the real revolutionaries at this time in human history are those that love, are those who are, are able to hold the frequency of peace, those who hold the frequency of compassion and generosity, even when it's extremely difficult to do so. Even when the ego doesn't want to do that, those who are able to hold that frequency, they are the true revolutionaries at this particular time in human history that will make the vibrational difference and create the vibrational platform to leap into the next expression of our evolution and unfoldment as a species. Yeah. Mm. When learning about the life visioning process, we learned that the visioning part of that is more the, the connection to our intuition. And I wanted to ask you about your intuition and what are you sensing into this visioning of the future? What are you seeing uh, maybe intuitively or, or psychically to where this golden age, as we've been told, is headed? Where, where are we headed as a species? Yeah, yeah, there's, there's intuition and there's direct knowing. And so mm. those that are in spiritual practice of prayer, meditation, life visioning, and all other spiritual modalities kind of bounce between intuition, with this, which is the extension of consciousness into time, and direct knowing, which is having a direct insight into what is so. And so there's a mm. bouncing back and forth. So sometimes I'll just know something without a process of reasoning, and sometimes I'll get an intuitive burst of something that's happening in time. And so with the combination of both, I have a tremendous, mm, enthusiastic, adventurous, visionary optimism, you know, uh, uh, that even though we're faced with all of these evolutionary triggers, I see and feel that we will emerge, that humanity will emerge into its next expression. Now, there'll be some individuals that are still locked in fear and worry and separation and will, are, will experience anxiousness and anxiety and, you know, kind of be pulled along. And then there are other individuals who are catching a vision, articulating that vision, and then very importantly, vibrating with it. And they will be the individuals that pull everyone else along vibrationally. And the, the beautiful thing about it is that you don't have to have the majority of people vibrating at that higher frequency because the highest vibration is way more powerful than the lower vibration. So with a certain amount of people vibrating in the vision, it will pull the rest. And so I have a, and I, so as I, as I look upon the last 40 years of, of, of this teaching being inundated and seeded into the population, that number has increased uh, and people are, are coming into this kind of a practice and intentionality, a visionary way of being. And so with that, I intuit and I see that we're not going to destroy ourselves, even though we can. Mm -hmm. We're going to emerge in a very powerful and wonderful way. It's, 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 it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult for many um, but it's going to happen. That's what I see. Because mm. you mentioned that that right there, the vision, how it's pulling people. What is this role of pain and suffering in all of that process? Well, the, 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 the multidimensional uh, progressive universe, which is the outpicturing of the infinite presence. It's, it's, it how it outpictures itself. Everything that we see is an outpicturing of the fundamental order, the harmony and the beauty and the symmetry and the love of God by whatever name you want to call it. It's nature is the same. It's presence. Mm. It's progressive. So it's always, it's always expanding to, re, to reveal its next level of iteration. So because of that, uh, pain literally and figuratively and energetically pushes us until we're embraced by a vision that pulls us. So if you look at, as I like to say from, from time to time, if you look at the fact that, um, you know, the earth is revolving around the sun and the sun is moving around 
its solar system, and that solar system is moving around uh, the, the, the galaxy, and the galaxy is moving around the universe, you know, and all those planets. Whenever there's a, 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 a full revolution of any planetary system, the frequency goes up. You know, it, it, it goes up to a higher frequency all the time. So we have to keep pace with that. So if we do not keep pace with that, then we're pushed. If we keep pace with that and we have a vision of possibility, then we're pulled by it. When you're pulled, you, you're pulled by inspiration. You're pulled by vision. You're pulled by an enthusiasm. You're pulled by ideas. You know, if you're pushed, you're pushed by pain, you know, and it feels like you're just being, oh, my God, what's going on, you know. And so in this evolutionary urgency that's taking place, some people are being pushed. They're contracted. Uh, they made themselves smaller than necessary with coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms, fear, doubt, worry, separation, might makes right. You know, I got to be right. Ego running the situation. So they're being pushed. Others are being pulled, you know, and you can see sometimes the difference because those are being pulled sometimes have a sense of lightness. They have a smile on their face. You know, it's, it's even though uh, things are, are, are intense, there's, a, there's a still a joy there. And those that are being pushed, you know, they're angry, uh, you know, they, 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 they silo themselves off away from people that they disagree with, you know. So that's, that's kind of how it looks when you look at the display of the world of phenomena in the human uh, worldly realm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the most powerful trick we've ever been told is that we're linear beings. And, you know, we're now learning, and I've heard you say this many times, is that we are multidimensional. And... We, there's a lot of talk in the spiritual communities of, oh, the world is moving toward another dimension, a fifth dimension, the 5D. How would you explain, explain this whole process of, of the evolution of the planet through a dimensional process and how you can move and ebb and flow between different dimensions based on your emotions, based on your thoughts, and based on your current state? Well, the planet itself, Earth, Mother Earth, has already moved. The, her frequency is already raised. She's already operating at a higher frequency. I mean, the Earth is a living being. It's not. She wants to evolve. She's yeah, in she's, it. She's conscious. She's mm. not just dirt and water. You know, she's a conscious being, and she's already evolved to another stage. And those that are harmonizing with that are feeling integrous. They're feeling at one with it. Those that haven't yet, they're feeling a lot of anxiousness and, and anxiety. So there are multi-dimensions. And so we moved out of 3D, fourth-dimensional awareness emerged, uh, I think, around the 60s. There were more people operating in fourth dimension, 60s, 70s, with the understanding of metaphysics and things of that particular nature. Now we're operating at the fifth dimension, and there, there are more. And so more and more people are having uh, availability to these higher frequencies, and through the through the through the constant consistent spiritual practice we stabilize and we normalize living at a higher frequency while we're on the planet so you know it's the old statement of being being in the world but being of the higher frequency this is this is this is this is the vibration of love you know to be with your body to embody the higher frequency don't try to i always teach we don't want to be ascended masters. We want to be descended masters. We want to, we want to bring the higher frequency to earth. Uh -huh. So we're on the earth. We don't dishonor our earthlingness. We don't dishonor the body. We, don't, uh, we, th we, we let go of the old teachings of we're going to die and go to heaven. We become aware that heaven is at hand now. Heaven is the higher frequency of love and of peace and of joy and of beauty, of harmony, generosity. And we stabilize ourselves with that. And then we, are, we bring it, thought, word, deed, becomes a representation of the higher frequency. And this is what we're in now. You know, more and more people are catching vision, dreams. Kids are being born with an awareness that we're moving, that we've moved into a higher frequency. And they don't have the old story of separation and a linear consciousness and the earth being inert dirt you know what i mean yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're more awake to that the trees are alive and the, the flowers are god smiling at us and the trees are bowing to our divinity and the, the earth is oozing with livingness you know mm -hmm. and so we're all growing into this 
awareness. And then the work is stabilization. So it's not just a one-off. It's not just, oh, I had this great insight six years ago, and I, the doors opened, and I saw all of this, and then it fades to memory. Mm. You know, through spiritual practice and intentionality, it becomes our new norm. You know, it becomes, this is where we're living, you see. And, and I, 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 I dare say this is the movement that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And there's also a movement that, you know, when, Michael, when I look at what you're doing in the world, one of the most powerful things that I believe that you're doing is you're transcending religiosity, mm. helping people transcend that realm of being fixed in a belief system that they only have to follow this teacher and that teacher and this system and this church. Like Agape Spiritual Center brings forth different people from all different walks of life together in communion and helping them connect to that oneness, that source, that universal power that we've been talking about. Yeah. So looking forward, because there's so, so many people still very fixed in, into their religious um, practices and their belief systems. How do you start expanding people's awareness that, yeah, we can get a little bit of this and this teaching and this master that that's a really powerful teaching right there with reincarnation. Oh wow, this inc- unconditional love thing is really cool. How do you start bridging these together? Well, when we started Agape thirty-seven years ago, we caught the vision. Uh, we and, and the name Agape means unconditional love. It's the love of God operating through the human heart, and. The idea, and you used the word communion, which I think is, is very powerful. You know, we sought to commune with the presence. I call it the presence that's never an absence. So this presence, this transcended presence, is described in every religion. So every religion, as I've described recently, you know, is really a, is transportation to transformation. And so people that are, that are in fear, and a lot of times the religions are fear-based, you know, God is angry, God has a chosen people, God's going to condemn people to hell, things of that particular nature. You know, so many people are, have this fear-based or anthropomorphic understanding of God. God was made in the human image. There's an old statement, um, you know, God made us in his image and likeness, and we've been trying to return the favor ever since. We've been trying to make God in our image, you see. And so we know that the, the religions, and, and the word religion means to bind oneself back to the source. It doesn't mean to get stuck in the religion itself. It means the religion, whatever the practices are in that religion, is to bind you back to the source. And so when you come back to the source of all creation and you have an insight, you can keep the religion if you want, you know, because it's like if you're driving your car and you drive your car to wherever your destination is, it's a beautiful car, it's sweet. Everybody's going to the same destination. But when you get to the destination, you're not going to argue over what car brought you there. We're all there. You can say, well, my car brought me. My Corvette brought me there. Oh, my Lexus brought me there. No, it's just a car. Beautiful. You got there. So religion just helps you get there. But it's not something you two identify yourself with forever, just temporarily. And so I knew that when I had my original insight, it was, it was, I could see that. And so the idea is that when you, when you look at the teachings of Jesus, you look at the teachings of the Buddha, you look at the teachings of Zoroaster, uh, Kuan Yin, Krishna, you, you dive deep into these, these teachings, there is no contradiction. There's different language, different metaphors, different parables based on the culture and the history of that time and, and, and the country and the, and, the, and the point of view so that the teacher would be speaking to that population in a language and in a way that they could understand. But when you go in and dissect it, you see that there's no contradiction. There's no, there's no need to war about anything at all because enlightenment, awakened consciousness, seeing your oneness with life itself is described by many vantage points. So that when individuals are stuck in a religion, it's generally fear-based. I, I can remember, I always remember this, in the year 2000, when people were nervous, you know, that something, something was going to happen. And uh, uh, I remember there was a number of great people who had studied metaphysics for years, who had studied 
the cosmology of oneness and studied the fact that they were at one with God and, and they had spiritual practice. And I remember right when 2000 was coming, many of them left and went to a fundamental church just in case. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just, just, in in case, case. just in case, just in case, <laughs> Jesus was going to come and get everybody that wasn't. <laughs> and I remember I, it was just it was humorous to me. Then a few mm-hmm. months later, they came back and they said, "Wow, we really got nervous. We really got scared, didn't we?" I said, "Yeah, you know, I have no judgment on it. You know, <laughs> you had to do what you mm-hmm. thought you had to do in that moment." Um, yeah. So, so religion is that which binds oneself back to one's source, source, but it is not the thing. The thing is the spiritual practices within that religion, the communion in community, the prayer, the chanting, the singing, the whirling dervishes, the, you know, all of the ways that bring us back to a sense of unity. That's the real deal, you see. Mm. So this is why I say, you know, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a linguistic convenience to say that he was a Christian mystic, or he was a Jewish mystic, or she was a Buddhist mystic. Because once they come into the realm of mysticism, then the labels drop off. They're just mystics. Yes. They're not a Buddhist mystic. They're not a Jewish mystic. They're a mystic. They realize their oneness with God, you see. And they may have gotten there through the practice of Judaism. They may have gotten there through the practice of Buddhism. They may have got there through the practice of the teachings of Jesus. But once they have that insight into their oneness, the temporary labels dissolve. And they're just lovers of God, lovers of humanity, lovers of loving, you see. Yeah. I'd love to dive in that realm of the mystical. Mm-hmm. Um, because after going through so many different dissections, as you said, it through different religions, the emergence of that is the mysticism and understanding that it goes far beyond. In, in the book, you mentioned that, you know, when Jesus said, don't get caught up looking at the finger if I'm pointing to the moon. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Jesus said that, but one of these really just yeah, that, that was said, a uh, that, that's a uh, a Zen statement. A Zen statement. Yeah. Don't mm. uh, don't you know, don't get caught up looking at the finger pointing to the moon. You're going to look at the moon, you know. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so this realm of the mystical, how has that process unfolded for you? Well, in the beginning, when I, when, I, when I was severed from my uh, limited point of view, I can remember at that time, I mean, the presence was so real, it, the presence of love and beauty and intelligence. Matter of fact, my name for God at that time was Love Beauty. I didn't even use the word God. That, kept, that came back years later. I was able to embrace the word again because it didn't mean a man in the sky. Um, but the presence is so so real that this world was less real to me. The world of love and of beauty was more real than anything. So it took a period of time to integrate back into here so that I could be earthly good. Because there was a period of time where I was so heavenly minded, but I was no earthly good. I was just, you know, I mean, I'm sure I, I sure my vibration was assisting a lot of people. But I hadn't found my dharma yet as to what I was to do on the planet. But I, w- I remember used to laughing at people. It was like everybody was chasing money and fame. And, and I, was just, I, w- I could see it. And I said, what? why are people doing this? Because I, I, I was blasted out of this world. Mm. And then little by little by little, I was able to integrate this expanded awareness into my humanity without denying my humanity. When it first happened, I kind of denied humanity. It was just in these lofty states. And then little by little by little, I integrated back so that Michael, I can embrace my Michaelism, and that Michael as an individual expression of the whole could evolve while I was integrating these higher frequencies. So I don't label myself anything. I just label myself an individual that loves the presence and loves humanity, loves the potential in humanity. And I label myself more as a servant you know, it's like um, I've often said that if we ever build a legacy building for Agape, at the front door, it's going to say servant's entrance, you know, so that as we're walking in, we're teaching ourselves that we're really here to be servants of the light and of the love and of the beauty. Two ways. We're to serve it on a platter and there would be servants of it. So I, I don't give myself labels. People will say you know, Michael's a mystic or Michael's this or Michael's that. I just say, you know, I'm a servant. I love 
the presence. I love humanity. I love loving. And I just keep seeking to purify my awareness to be an instrument and an opening and an embodiment of that, of that truth. But I, it, I'm telling you, the presence is more real than the temporary. You know, I, I have that vibration, that frequency. It's way more real than the temporary. And, and so we appreciate the temporary, but we embrace the eternal. Yeah. I love that you said letting Michael emerge or loving Michael, mm -hmm. letting that Michael embody your, in yourself. I wanted to ask you, who was Paramatman <laughs> You really did research. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when I was uh, the first number of years as I was integrating this high frequency, yeah, I'd read the Dhammapada, I'd read the Upanishads, I'd read all the sacred texts. And when I was reading about the Atman presence, when I read Ram Atman, which is, you know, it'd be considered like the Christ in us, if you were using the Christian terms, you know, it's Jesus, the Christ. Paramatman is the expression of the Atman presence, which is the presence of life, God. It lit up. It literally, when I was reading it, it lit up in the book. And I, I said, wow, what's, you know, and all, and I remember reading the Upanishads and I was reading these sacred texts and these words would light up and it was more like I was remembering what I already knew. I, it wasn't like I was learning something. It's like I knew, I knew this. And so anyway, I, I temporarily changed my name from Michael to Paramatman. That was the name I went by. Hmm. And I had a little magazine called, I think it was, what was that magazine called? Wow, I have to... It may have been called the Agape. I didn't get that far. I didn't get yeah. <laughs> in my it's research. I didn't go that far. Of it somewhere. <laughs> but I had this little magazine that I was putting out, and it was written by Paramatman, and I was sharing insights and revelations. And this went on for mm, maybe a year, maybe two years. And then I realized I was hanging out in these higher vibrations, but I wasn't acknowledging my humanity. I wasn't acknowledging Michael. So I let go of the name and went back to Michael because I wanted Michael to evolve. You know, I speak about him often in third person. You know, I talk about him, even though it's me. And so in, in that way, I began to face the things that Michael had inherited, thought forms and beliefs that he inherited from his family, his ancestral line, um, to really go in and do a lot of inner spiritual therapy work to heal, tr uh, transmute, and, and integrate things within him so that he'd be a greater vehicle for this light that I was feeling. And so there was a time in my life where I turned my garage into a soundproof room. I had baffles and mattresses and all manner of things in this garage. And I had a chair, a mirror, had a tape recorder, had my journals books. I had all these things. And I would go in there every day. And whatever Michael was going through, I would face it and deal with it in terms of a lot of different kind of inner work. Journal, writing about it, writing about it in three different ways. Michael is, you are, I am, looking at myself in the mirror. I would put people in chairs, mentally see people in chairs that perhaps I saw as an authority figure, that when I thought about being around them, made me feel less than myself. And I would sit them in the chair and I would just work on myself to develop uh, and embody and hold this sense of confidence and self-love and appreciation in their presence. I mean, I did this deep kind of work. Now that kind of work is pretty, it's kind of moved into popularity now over the last 10, 15 years. But at the time I was doing all of this, I was just creating it myself you know, and um, dealing with uh, anger and, and turning the anger into affirmations and all manner of work until there was a, uh, in my humanness, there was a greater embodiment of, of, of holding the frequency of light and of love and of beauty. And so, so then Michael, Michael, you know, who has just a very beautiful intentionality, you know, uh, could be more himself. And then, and then I think the latest, I mean, there's always stuff, you know, to clear out. But I remember the late, one of the latest things that happened for me, I was meditating a few years ago and I was lifted 
into this really beautiful space. And as I was sitting there in the light, these beings came to me and they said, we want you to be more compassionate. And that was a little shock to my system because my, mm, my view of myself was compassionate. I thought I was compassionate. Okay. But they, they said, no, you need to, need to grow more in compassion. And then there were these eight modules that they moved me through. They were like scenarios in my life. And, and I lived through each of these scenarios. And when I got to the eighth one, it hit me. Oh, my God. I was so hypercritical of myself that I didn't have a lot of compassion for myself, for Michael. <laughs> that even though I was compassionate for others in the world, the, the, the seeming lack of compassion for myself prevented me from being fully compassionate with others. It was like, it was like, it just totally woke me up to, wow, you know, stop beating yourself up. Stop being so hypercritical about yourself. You know, you're doing really good. You're doing a good job. You have a high intention. You never try to hurt anybody. You always try to do your best, you know. <laughs> so that's, that helped me go to another level of compassion. Uh, which I'm, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process. But that's, it, it, that's integration, you know. That's integration. I hope I'm answering your question, you know. For sure, for yeah. sure. Is there, would you define this sort of similar to a pre-life review? Like, because you were taken through many scenarios in your life. Was that an intentional process or can people pick out, you know, I want to work with this situation with my mom, this one with my dad, this one with my friends, or it just happens spontaneously for you? Well, I think it's both. For that, mm. in that particular experience I described, that just, that just happened spontaneously in my meditation practice. But definitely, as we grow and unfold and have spiritual practices, you know, one of the key practices is forgiveness. It's, you know, I mean, deep, soulful forgiveness. And so you take scenarios out of your life uh, where, there's, where there's resentment, there's grudge, there's animosity, there's I'm right and they're wrong kind of consciousness operating. And you, you bring that scenario up and you have an intention to forgive. And then one of the elements of forgiveness is, as our indigenous brothers and sisters would say, you know, learn to walk a mile in the other person's moccasins. You actually ask to see from another person's point of view. You don't have to agree with that point of view. It's not about agreement. It's just seeing from another person's point of view. That expands your perception. And with your willingness to forgive yourself, willingness to forgive the so-called other, seeing through the other person's perspective, this, I like to say the sting and the stink of that experience dissolves. And you realize that if you announce to the world that your life is indeed an emanation of the life of God. You can't deny that for anyone else either. Their life is too. And then that opens up your perception, and then forgiveness happens. Now, you still hold the memory of whatever happened. Somebody gossiped about you. Somebody told you a lie about you. Somebody stole something from you. Somebody abused you. I mean, those things may have happened. You still may hold the memory. But with forgiveness, then the sting of that disappears and it no longer is running you and you become more and more free, more and more available uh, to the luminosity and the light that you really are. And so whether you call that a pre-life review, what I remind people to do is when you're going to sleep at night, two things, review your life, review the day and see if you have any annoyances, anything that annoyed you, anything that bothers you, anything you might be holding on to. It might be even minor, you know. Somebody cut you off in traffic or you, you overheard somebody saying something negative about you or you perceived that somebody was saying something negative about you, whatever it was. You know, you don't go to sleep with that. You don't, don't do that. Don't let that go into your subconscious mind. You forgive it. You let it go to the best of your ability, you see. And then I tell people to... The Tetris effect, uh, that's a, a Tetris effect means that whatever 
is the last thing you see before you go to sleep when you're sleepy. And the first thing you see when you wake up in the morning, when you're not quite awake, when you're in the, what is called the hypnagogic state, goes directly to the subconscious mind. There's no filter. You know, when you're conscious, you can filter things out sometimes. So you do your forgiveness. It doesn't have to be hours of forgiveness. It's just reviewing the day very quickly and forgiving it and letting it go. And then the last thing you see or say before you go to sleep, you want it to be affirmatory, you know. Sometimes I'll, uh, like I have on my phone, I have, right now I have 17 things that I read before I go to sleep. And when I first wake up, I'm sleepy, I'm waking, I'm just waking up. And before I put my feet on the ground and, and go into a, a sense of gratitude, I'll read them. So it's the first thing that goes to my subconscious mind. And so with those two practices, and then, but you're not trying to make anything happen. You're not trying to manifest. You're not trying to bring anything to manifestation. You're just seeding the subconscious mind. Then you go out about your day. And things start to clear up emotionally and mentally. Um, the fabric of your universe starts to change corresponding to your subconscious belief. And you become surprised by opportunities that show up or that people that you meet or that a deeper sense of peace that you have, you see. And these are just little small little practices that one can do. Like a lot of people make the mistake of going to bed with the news. You know, they read the, they'll yeah, look at the news phone. before they go to sleep. Little TikTok. Set. Yeah. You know, <laughs> or they'll wake up and they'll go into social media to see what happened. You know, so when, so when the hypnagogic state, they're looking at all this stuff and it's going into the subconscious mind. You don't want to do that. That's self-abuse. <laughs> that's, that's unconscious self-abuse. Give yourself something affirmative, something beautiful, something loving. Let that be the first thing in the morning and the last thing at night. Yeah. What, what is one thing that you've told yourself about yourself that has changed your life the most? In the beginning, and it still stays with me, I used to always say, you know, I want a peace of mind. And there's a quote in the Bible that says, I want the mind in me that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That particular scripture has always caught me. So I always invite myself to be the light of the Christ. Now, I know the Christ is a title. It's a state of consciousness. It's not Jesus' name. You know, it's actually a state of consciousness. It's, it's the same as the Buddha. It's the same. The Buddha consciousness and the Christ consciousness are the same thing. So I, I tell myself, peace of mind, and, and I want to be the light of the Christ, which is what? Which is love, which is compassion, which is beauty, which is generosity, you see. So I open myself up to that. And then the consciousness of the lilies of the field, which is the consciousness of the feeling tone of having all of my needs met. It's not materialism, you know. It's just a knowing that all of my needs, all of my legitimate needs are being met with ease and with grace and with dignity. And I, don't, I do not have to have any anxiety or anxiousness about that. Even if I can't see it, Physically, I carry the feeling tone and lean into the feeling tone of that truth. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for that. In school, Michael, we are taught and we're fed a lot of different laws, whether they be in physics or math. There's a lot of laws that we are taught, but you've taught a lot of universal energetic laws that we can start understanding to navigate this energetic world that we're a part of maybe we only see physical bodies maybe mm -hmm. we only see the material we only see the matter but underlying there's this energetic world that is constantly influencing and we're playing it around with it and we are influencing it so what are these universal laws that you'd like to share well <clears throat> You're, first of all, you're hitting upon a truth that we're, we're more energy than anything else. We're, an energe we're energetic beings. The physical body is mainly water and space. And then that's, that's, that's the physical body. Then there's a mental body. There's an emotional body. There are subtle bodies. There's an astral body. You know, there's celestial body, which is pure light. But primarily, we're energy. That's what we are. And so 
with that awareness, you know, the, the basic Ling uh, there's a linguistic convenience that became popular a number of years ago called the law of attraction. It was just a linguistic convenience. It really was saying that when you embody a particular energy, it looks like you're attracting something to you, but it just, it just appears that way. Actually, there's a law of radiation. You're actually radiating a frequency. And when you're able to stabilize the radiation, then it condenses itself and that's called manifestation. It shows up. So there's a law of radiation that brings a sense of resonance, law of resonance, like a tuning fork. Uh, individuals who, as we were talking earlier, that are being able to hold this higher frequency, they're like living tuning forks that create fields of resonance so that when they come into a room with other people, they, they don't have to say anything. Because the highest frequency always wins, the room starts to vibrate at that higher frequency. You know, somebody can be sitting in the corner with their eyes open in a field of meditation and love, and the room would slowly, 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 slowly start to vibrate at that level of resonance. More coherence. In the room. Right. You're becoming coherent with truth, with reality. So there's attraction that, re that reveals radiation, that reveals resonance, and then there's the law of emergence. So that the potential that's within us all starts to emerge. It starts to come forward, you see. So you go from attraction to radiation to resonance to emergence. And now we're entering into what is called unfoldment. You know, it's like when you take a, a, a seed of a rose bush, in that seed has, has, that has not yet been planted, inside of that seed, there's an energetic pattern. It's mainly invisible. Most of it is invisible. You know, if you take open a seed, there's hardly anything there, you know. But it's mainly an energetic pattern. You plant the seed, and, and if it's in the right condition, then that potential, that energetic potential, starts to unfold. It's already there. We don't create it. The farmer doesn't make that happen. It starts to unfold from the invisible, the, the, the implicate order, to become the explicate order. It starts to unfold roots and then shoots. And then the, the plant emerges. And then it becomes its highest potential. It, it blooms. It comes into full bloom. It creates more seeds. And those seeds do the same thing until you have a garden. But it started with one seed unfolding into its glorious potential, you see. So, so evolution is that which happens in time in, in, in the manifest realm. Unfoldment is the idea that's already exist. It's already existing in, a, in, a, in an invisible, energetic way. Conditions right, it becomes visible. So going back to your earlier question, in terms of what's happening on the planet, there's an unfoldment taking place because the condition is becoming ripe because there's more and more people practicing in spiritual practice, higher intentionality, seeking to become better versions of themselves, uh, releasing themselves from gross materialism, might makes right, uh, separation via hate. There's a, there's a vibrational condition being created. So that which is within us already, is unfolding because the condition. Now, here's, here's, here's the beautiful part. As spiritual beings having a human incarnation, we are simultaneously the condition and the perfect idea. The seed has to be placed in the condition, has to be placed in soil, has to have water, has to have nutrients for it to unfold. We create our own condition. When we sit and meditate... Fine. When we sit and pray, when we sit and affirm, we sit and establish intention, uh, we, we clear up our awareness, we become the vibrational condition for our own unfolding, which takes us out of being a victim to circumstance and being a transformational agent in our own life. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I pointed to my head is because I realized that you're saying we're creating our own conditions through thought 
and emotion. So how can people leverage those two gifts that we have, the ability to feel, the ability to think and be self-conscious yeah. to create a condition around us that's nutritive to this code of potential that we're supposed to become uh, maybe as a destiny or maybe as a, as a soul path. Yeah. Dest destiny is good. Well, you know, it's taught in, in certain religions that we're the image and likeness of God, but no one ever has taught what that means. So people think, oh, I'm the image and likeness of God. I look like God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even though the presence is Let me formless. just grow a beard real quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, even though it's formless, people then make an image. Oh, I'm the image like this God. You know, that's not mm. what it means. It means that we share a faculty with the presence. And that faculty is we can think independent of a circumstance. So there's conditions, there's circumstances, there's situations, there's interpretations of things that have happened to us. We can actually think independent of that, which means right now as we're talking, someone can be listening to us and they may be going, growing through something. Maybe they have an illness. Maybe there's some financial difficulty. Maybe there's some fear. But in this moment, they can begin to think at a higher frequency. So they're thinking independent of the circumstance. They're not just thinking about the circumstance. They're thinking independent of the circumstance. They're thinking of potential. They're thinking of possibility. That is how we create the vibrational condition. We don't deny that there's circumstances going on. But we begin to think independent of that circumstance. That's where the vision comes in. Without vision, people perish. You think independent of it. Then what do you do? Then you feel independent of it. You start to develop a feeling tone of the possible. Now, the water in my body is starting to be codified with that feeling. It's rushing through my body, that, that feeling and that thought of possibility. My immune system is becoming balanced. My blood pressure is becoming balanced. My coherence of my brain is becoming more, more, the hemispheres are becoming more in integrity with each other. My body's changing. My mind is changing. Now I become more available to insight and revelation and unfoldment of my destiny, unfoldment of the perfect pattern that's within me that has nothing to do with the external conditions or circumstances, nothing to do with heredity, nothing to do with past circumstances or experiences. I become moment by moment by moment free. This is why we have spiritual practice. It frees us from the limited points of view and carries us into a greater expression of who and what we really are. This, this, this is, we're awakening to a destiny, you see. Yeah. What are some main things that sabotage us when we're trying to become a vibrational match between, let's say, that healing or that person we want to attract? Why are some people blocked from, from getting that? And, and speaking on a vibrational term, um, what are these things that block us from being a vibrational match? Well, oftentimes the mind, you know, we ha we, we're not our minds. Okay, first of all, we're, we're, we have a mind. We are a field of love and intelligence. We're pure consciousness, but we have a mind. And the mind is a set of programs is what it is. Those programs that, that run us, many of those programs we didn't have anything to do with. It comes from the social milieu of the world, newsreels. Uh, parental fantasies, societal fantasies, religious fantasies, and so individual, and then you cu couple that with the misinterpretation of experiences that we've had that has led to a lack of spiritual self-esteem, self-loathing, uh, a, a sense of not loving oneself, a sense of being hypercritical of oneself. You put all those things together and it creates a sabotage. So we get close to success and we sabotage it. I'm not worthy. I'm not worth this. I'm not good enough. Um, it, it, life is hard until you die. Uh, you know, we have all these thoughts that run through the mind that have become what I call one's personal law. You know, everyone has their own personal law. I was, I was working with a, a young lady many years ago who had a personal law of 
whenever she got close to success, she would sabotage it because she felt unsupported. She never felt support. When she was a young girl, she was left at home by herself. She was raised by a single mother. The father had left the home. So she was left alone at home by herself. So she had this feeling all the time, this emotion of not being supported. And so that carried with her throughout her adult life. So whenever she got really close to success, she would, the sabotage would come up. I'm not supported. This can't really happen. And she would some kind of way block the success. And so through, you know, an, a, a work, I won't go through the whole story, but in her work, you know, she had a, an epiphany one day. She was actually working with one of my practitioners at Agape. And this particular practitioner was a hypnotherapist as well. And, and took her back into her childhood where she was a little girl feeling unsupported. And she's also had been abused when she wasn't um, with her mom. But she noticed when she was in this particular high state that there was this beautiful angelic presence all around her. And so when she came out of the state, she realized this presence has been with her entire life. And it started to integrate into her life. And she realized the presence was always with her. She was always supported. And then that became her dominant thought. That became her dominant feeling. And the sabotage stopped. And she went on to be a prolific author and writer. And all the ways that she had uh, uh, blocked herself began to disappear. So at some point, I teach people to scan your life. And I know you have the, the, the sting of all the negative things that have happened. But do you ever scan your life and see all the wins, all the blessings that have happened, all the times your back was against the wall and you still survived, you still made it? You start to scan your mind and see all the blessings, even things that you thought were small at the time. And you begin to let your mind just embrace all of those things until that becomes a dominant feeling in you. I'm blessed. I'm supported. I'm taken care of. And I always have been. I just didn't notice it. Then that begins to reprogram the mind. You start to have a different feeling. And now you, you walk in the world, but you're of this feeling that, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Everything is okay. And then that becomes your new personal law. That becomes your personal law. You see? There's, there's a law of mind in action. And that law simply says, it's done unto you as you believe. It's done unto you as you feel. So you're just working with it until that becomes your law. Like, I, I have a feeling within me that whatever's going on, my feeling is that it's, it's always going to turn out okay. I may not see how it's going to turn out okay, but that's the feeling that I carry. It ain't over until it's okay. <laughs> you know, mm. it's just, mm. that be, that's my personal law. Yeah. That's not to say I don't have challenges. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but in that, I have a personal law that whatever the challenge is, it's going to turn out all right. That's my feeling that I carry. Mm. And to hit that home run on that message that you just gave to us, beautiful message and the beautiful story of the woman with the angelic presence around her is another teacher, another friend of yours, Bruce Lipton. He says, the mind has one job, to match your beliefs with your reality. So when we start changing our beliefs, we change the reality. And it gave me chills when you were telling the story of the girl because one of the questions that came up as you were speaking was, are there higher dimensional beings here to assist humanity in its ascension process? Oh, oh yeah, you know. First of all, the answer is yes. And at different levels, what I've discovered is that they can't intervene unless you ask for help. They, 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 if you ask for help, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be open. If you ask, then they can assist. The idea is you don't want to rely on that. 
but you can be available to it. You want to rely on your own spiritual practice to open yourself up to the infinite power that's within you, but you can always ask for help. Now, I've shared this story before because I think it's very important. A few years ago, I was in Costa Rica, and my daughter and I were on the beach there, and um, we were the only two people on the whole beach, you know, just kicking back. So I went out swimming, and, I, and I'm a pretty good swimmer. So I was out pretty, pretty far, and when I turned around, I realized I'd gone really far out. My daughter was like a little ant on the sand. I, di I didn't have any concern about it because I can swim, but I got caught in this riptide. And so I started to swim to the side to get out of the riptide, but it was one of those um, curious double riptides where it was like going in both directions. Yeah. I was stuck, and I was getting extremely tired. I was exhausted. And all of a sudden, my daughter stands up. She feels intuitively that, that something's wrong. I'm, a, I'm tired. I'm trying to get in. I'm swimming to the side. I'm swimming to the other side. I can't get in. And I even go underwater for, you know, for a moment. It's like I, I go underwater and I think to, and I have prophetic dreams at times. So I scan my mind to see if I had a prophetic dream that this was my last day on the planet. Is, is this, is this it? I didn't find any evidence that this was my last day. I popped up, took a deep breath and what came out of my mouth, I didn't do this consciously, it just came out of my mouth. I need some help here. It's like that. I need some help here like that. And then I said, I need some help here. Then I programmed my mind. I said, regardless of how tired the body gets, don't give up. Mm. Regardless of how tired the body gets, don't give up. And then this wave came. And it gave me momentum. Then another wave came. Gave me more momentum. Then the third wave came. It gave me more momentum. So now I have momentum. I'm still tired. I'm still exhausted. Still took me a long time to get in, but I have momentum. I'm going. I, I, I went through the space where the riptide was, and now I swam in. I got to the sand. I laid on my back. My <laughs> chest was, and my heart was beating out of my chest. It took me a long time to recover. <sighs> and so my daughter and I, you know, we left. We went back to, to Rhythmia Life Advancement Center where, where, mm. where we were. And so I get back to Los Angeles, and I have a friend. Who is, she's a very close friend of the family, and and she's a medium, is what, what she does. And so I was telling her about the experience. And, and she said, do you mind if I look into the experience? I said, no, go look. So she closes her eyes and she, she sees it. And she says, oh, you asked for help. I said, I did. She says, that moment that you asked for help, this is what she says, an archangel was going by and gave you three waves. Wow. And, and, and got you in. He, she said, she reminded me, she said, you know, they can't help you unless you ask for help, you know. Mm. And, and so that's always a part of my spiritual practice. I go into gratitude. I affirmatively pray. I meditate. And then I always say, I need some help here for the day. I just, I just throw myself open for any kind of help, whether it's open to receive help. <laughs> I'm open to receive help for, from the angelic realm, from my ancestors, from the archangel realm, from the guardian angel, whatever, God, the earth, whatever. I just keep myself humble to be available to help. I don't lean on it, but I make myself available. Yeah. Mm. That's so good. So beautiful, Michael. To end every podcast, we have this segment called The Final Trio, which are rapid fire questions that you can answer in any way that you want. Before we get into that, I want people to connect with you even further. Where would you send them uh, to, to connect with you? A couple of places. One, if you want to experience the Agape International community, we have three services on Sunday, every Sunday. Uh, we have a meditation service. I teach meditation at 6.45 a.m. Pacific time. Then we have another meditation service at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time with the Worship Celebration Fellowship service at 9.00. And then we have another meditation service at 11 a.m. Pacific time. And then a worship celebration fellowship service with music and everything at 11.30. You go to agapelive.com. That's the website. You can see those services on our Facebook page, on our website, or on YouTube. And then there's my podcast. As you mentioned earlier, it's called Take Back Your Mind. So every week... 
I um, have a friend of mine, a guest, somebody that I think is has really taken back their mind in a very powerful way. Like you mentioned Bruce Lipton. You know, we have Ayanna Lavenzana. We have Sean Stevenson. We have Danielle Laporte. We have a number of my, my friends and buddies that I interview. We have good conversation like you and I are having right now. That drops every Wednesday. You can see that on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. Just put in Take Back Your Mind, and you can watch it or listen to it. If you go to michaelbeckwith.com, you can go to my personal website. It's being, it's being um, upgraded right now. It's still up, but it's being upgraded. So you can see where I'm speaking, uh, any events. I'll, I'll be going to Boulder, Colorado. I'll be going to uh, Colorado soon to do a, a, a Unleash and uh, Wake Into Your Destiny workshop soon. You know, so there's things that are going on. So those are the three ways that I would suggest right now. You're on a mission, brother. Hey. We appreciate you. Thank you. So... The final trio, the first one I have for you is, if you were to take over the world tomorrow, <laughs> let's say you are a peace broker for the UN, you are in charge of mediation between head of states, would the world be any different? Yeah, yeah, yeah this is really interesting because that's the question. That question right there was help me prepare, prepare me, propel me into my spiritual awakening. I had just moved back to Los Angeles. I was attending Morehouse College. And I had started the Harriet Tubman Prison Committee. Um, we were uh, working to get prisoners rights and money for the work they were doing in prison. I mean, I was a revolutionary. I was 18, 19 years old. And um, I moved back to Los Angeles. I was a part of this group that wanted to change the world by any means necessary. And uh, we were a revolutionary group. I was sitting in a meeting, Emilio. And this voice said, if you were to take over the world tomorrow, would it be any different? And I looked back to see who said it, and there was nobody there. Continued with the meeting. The voice said it again. This time it came from within here. I looked around the room, and I realized I could see this man's pathology over here. He always had to be right. This person always had to take credit for something. This person was territorial. This lady, you know, she was always trying to control people. I could just see all the pathology. And I realized if we were to take over the world, the world wouldn't be any different. So I never went back. I enrolled in USC, psychobiology major. I was going to go to med school. And, and, and the, that's when my spiritual experiences started to become magnified. And I realized that the, if, if you're going to take over the world, it's not you taking over the world from an egoic perception. If I'm standing in front of the United Nations, which I've had the privilege of more than one time speaking there, United Nations, it's all really about the nuance of shifting one's consciousness, one's awareness. There has to be an intention for peace. It has to be an intention to have a realization that we're all one. We cannot be egoically separated by man-made boundaries of nations and colors of skin and religiosity. There has to be an awareness that we are one for real. So if I were to take over the world tomorrow, there would be trainings and inspirations and scientific forays into the teaching that we are one for real. We're unified in this one panorama of love and beauty and joy. And there really isn't. It doesn't even exist. There's no separation. Separation mm. is an illusion. Yeah. Mm. So good. The second one is a little bit easier than that one. Um, it's what is the purpose of the human experience? <laughs> we, have a, we are spiritual beings having a human incarnation so that living biology can reflect and reveal the entire cosmos according to our uniqueness. So every being is carrying the cosmos. And we are here to reveal that on Earth. So the human experience gives us feedback. We get immediate and long-term feedback as to what our perceptions are. So that ultimately we can reflect and reveal the entire cosmos as only we can. We're not, we're not here just to get fame, celebrity, not here to stack up Benjamins and, 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 and get a whole lot of stuff. 
definitely we want what we need in order to have our needs met, to be happy, and, you know, all of that. But we are here to perfectly reflect the isness and the nowness of the presence according to our unique pattern. There are no two snowflakes alike. There are no two leaves on a tree alike. There's no two human beings alike. Everyone is a unique expression of the infinite, and each person has the mandate to reveal their destiny, which is to perfectly reflect the isness of the presence according to that uniqueness. Yeah, which is mind-blowing to think about. If you see 8 billion people, there's not one person that's the same. Not like, even the amount twin. of variations, it's, it's Not even identical twin. <laughs> no, it's, it's, wow, beautiful to think about that. Yeah. The last one I have for you, Michael, um, for today, we call it the time capsule question. And it forces us to go out into the future mm-hmm. around 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the question is, if you were to hypothetically be given a time capsule mm-hmm. and you were told that this time capsule is going to be opened in the future mm-hmm. by the next generation of leaders now, but the mm-hmm. leaders of tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you were to leave in anything from your wildest dreams inside this time capsule, what would you leave in the time capsule? You can say anything from a frequency, a book, a sound. We've gotten all sorts of answers on the show, but what would you leave within this time capsule? In the time capsule would be a holographic museum of what we used to live like. We had religions, we had um, people separating themselves by colors of skin and nationality, wars. It would be a museum of where we had come from. So little kids would say, mom, dad, you mean people actually didn't like each other because they had different hues of skin? You mean people actually built things to go to war with other people? They actually tried to Change the climate to create war and take and control people? Yes, baby. Humanity was really, really ignorant years ago, but now we're free. We have free energy. We have more than enough on the planet. The way we grow our food, the way we take care of the earth, the way we take care. We've come a long way, baby. <laughs> and then, of course, we have some really high-frequency music and high-frequency sounds of how we got there and on top of this time capsule there is a question for the leaders what would what would you ask what 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 question would you leave for them to contemplate that question would be what's trying to emerge through you right now Mm. Mm -hmm. let's go michael Thank you so much from the heart, man. You have inspired me in ways I cannot begin to explain uh, your beautiful soul. And thank you so much for all the wisdom that you just dropped. And I can't wait to follow your journey even more. You're beautiful, Emilio. Thank you. Wisdom from the heart. I like that because, you know, in Sanskrit, the heart and the mind is the same word. The heart has more brain neurons than the brain. So when we lead by the heart, everything else follows. God bless you, man. God bless.